get started, um, let's look back at next, last week. Let's see who was here, who was paying attention. So last week we talked about kind of the vision of where we're going with Redstone Church in Elizabeth. And I'm going to move this out of the way for a second because I feel like I can't move. Um, and we talked about some foundational things that we were going to do as a church. And we hit on four of those. Who can remember one of them? Spit it out. Teaching. Actually, that was number one. Was that my daughter? Yeah, that's not fair, because I gave her the answer beforehand. Actually, that's not true. Number two, what was another one? Prayer. Okay. Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, so we're going to pray on Sunday morning. And the whole flow, just look at it. You can see it in your worship guide, is the Lord's Prayer, and we're giving back that prayer to Him. So yes, prayer was another one. What was another one? Fellowship. Okay. <clears throat> Remember, it was the noun. The fellowship. Fellowshipping. Okay. The fellowship. That's us. It's the con congregation. It is the assembly. It is the community of people that are coming together on a regular basis. We'll do that on Sunday mornings, and then we'll also do that in community groups. And then there was one more. Eating. Actually, actually, it was breaking of bread. But, Evan, you get credit for that. If you were on Final Jeopardy, you would not have, but here you will. Um, so, breaking of bread. There were two parts to breaking of bread. One of them, Evan just said, was just plain out eating. And then the other one we'll uh, participate in this morning when we do communion. Okay, that's good. So, you understand kind of that here's the foundational things that we're going to do moving forward. Okay, today uh, we're going to jump into a new series. And this is the, the preface for the series. Uh, but before we do so, let's pray. Father, as we just talked about, um, your house shall be called a house of prayer, and we want it to be a house of prayer. So our prayer this morning is very simple. May your kingdom come, may your will be done, on earth and at Redstone Elizabethan, as it is in heaven. Please give us this day our daily bread, May we hear from you and your word, and may every other word that I speak simply fall to the ground. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You've got a worship guide with you, okay? And the worship guide will always have uh, the passage on the second page, and that's the place for you to take notes. Um, and as was said earlier, as you're taking notes and you get to something and you're like, I don't know what this means, or you said something in the sermon that threw me off, or whatever. Make a note of that, and you can put it back in the box or give it to me afterwards, and we can set up a time, and we can talk through some of those things. A uh, worship guide um, is there for you to not just sing from, but to use as a resource. So take it back home, get your word, the word back out, dig back through the passage. And at some point in time, once community groups start, right, then you'll be able to uh, do the homework that will be on the back of the worship guide as well. Okay, so Jake. Jake is in the house. Jake is going to read our passage for us this morning, but it's not that simple, Jake, and you know that, right? So we're not just going to let you stand up and start reading. Okay, so Jake and I go way, way, way back. We've known each other how long now? Maybe a month, okay? So when we were doing preview services, um, we walked in. No one knows about Redstone Elizabethan. It's just kind of a word-of-mouth thing. And we walked in, we were like, oh, 
there's people we don't know. What in the world are they doing? They must be lost. So uh, we got to know Jake and Katie a little bit. So I actually don't know Jake very well. Okay, so who are you, Jake? Uh, yeah, I'm Jake. Here, turn around that way just a little bit so I can see you. <laughs> we do too. Okay, now that's good. So you guys are both involved in Young Life, though. So is there one particular school that you're working with the most? Okay, so Elizabeth and I. Okay. Okay. Well, very good. So again, we're going to continue having these kinds of conversations. So last week, who did we meet? Josh. Very good. Okay. So Yeshua is Joshua Hubbard. Okay, and Josh worked where? Not that it matters where people work, but he happens to be at Del River. Okay, and Jake, um, they're, they're involved in Young Life. Okay, it just helps you to connect people because there's no way you can come in between 9.50 and 10 o'clock in the morning and be able to get to know everyone. And at some point in time, we'll have fellowship, we'll have meals together, and you'll get to know each other there and in community groups. But right now, Jake, I'm glad you're here, and Katie, I'm glad you're here. And you, you guys have been in Florida doing some training with Young Life, and um, glad you made it back safe and sound. So, can you read the passage for us this morning? Passages for us this morning. Okay, very good. Thank you, Jake. So we've got two different passages here. Um, the first passage, we're going to go back through it just a little bit. So this is Paul. Okay, so Paul used to be called Saul. Paul got saved. Jesus changes his name from Saul to Paul. Um, he gets converted, and then he becomes this individual that really, really, really goes out, and he preaches the gospel. Okay, so the first book that we're looking at, the book of Ephesians, he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, to the Ephesians, okay, while he's in Rome. And the first part of the book of Ephesians is very, very heavy gospel. Okay, so if you go read the first part of Ephesians, it's very heavy, a lot of what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks, and it's breaking it down and helping you see the glory and the details of what the gospel truly is. The second half of it is like, okay, so now that you're understanding the gospel, this is how you live it out in the way that you treat your spouse. This is the way that you live it out in the way that you treat um, your, your, your kids. This is an understanding that you need to have about spiritual warfare. Okay, um, So this is how you need to combat the enemy and so on and so forth. So that's kind of how Ephesians is broken down. So let's look at the passage again to see if we can pull out and get your pens and you know, your, your pencils out because you want to mark your Bibles up and you want to mark your worship guides up to be able to see the, the key words. So this passage here in Ephesians 6 is coming at the tail end of Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. And it's a, it's a sermon all within itself, but he's saying 
Now that you understand the gospel, you need to understand that you are a spiritual being and everything that's happening around you is spiritual and there's warfare. So your struggle is actually not with people. He says it's not with flesh and blood. Your struggle is not with flesh and blood. You think that it is, but it's not. There's an enemy that hates you and here's how you combat the enemy. And he gives the, the arsenal of, um, of how to defend yourself. It's a great passage. Go back through it if you haven't gone through it before. And then at the end of it, he gives these two, and I mentioned this last week, he gives these two offensive weapons. Okay, One of them is the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It'll change your life. will help you to know how to read it and, and apply it and receive it. It's, it's offensive. Even when the enemy came against Jesus to try to tempt Jesus, Jesus just quoted back Scripture to him. I don't understand that, and I am your pastor. I don't understand the magic that is there in communicating the Word of God, but I've seen it. I've been awakened in the middle of the night. I've been through spiritual warfare, and I have quoted Scripture and seen the power there. But then the second part of that, he says, prayer is the other offensive tool. It's the other offensive weapon that you have. So this is on the back end of it. And he says, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. Opening my mouth for what? That I can boldly proclaim what? The mystery of the gospel. There's this mystery of the gospel that's needing to be proclaimed. And he says, it's so important that I share this gospel that I am an ambassador of God, just I'm in chains for that purpose that I may declare it boldly. He says, pray for me. People need to know the mystery of the gospel and I need to be able to declare it boldly. Okay, so mystery, opening my mouth boldly, like those are things I kind of marked up in my Bible. Okay, the second passage is the same author. So here's Paul and he's writing um, the book of Romans to Roman Christians, okay? And the first part of the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, is his masterpiece of breaking down what the gospel truly is. And he goes back to the Old Testament. He explains all these things in the Old Testament and how they apply to the gospel. And he just helps you logically to understand what the gospel is. Okay, that's the first part. And then in the second part, from chapter 12 on, it's kind of like Ephesians. He says, okay, now that you understand that, you know, here's how you present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And here's how you live out the gospel. And he talks about things like uh, authority. This is how you, why you submit, submit to the authorities. This is why you submit to the president. This is why you submit to the governing authorities. And so on and so forth. Um, so first part, Gospel, second part, how you live out the gospel. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here too. Understand what is the gospel and then how do we live it out. So let's look at that passage again. Romans 1, 16-17, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, for it, I have it underlined and circled, for it is referring to the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It came, comes first to the Jews, because he goes to the Israelites first, those were his chosen people, and then it spreads to everyone else. Okay, And he says, for in it, for in the gospel, 
the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, or it's wholly by faith. It's just completely by faith, or as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, today we're beginning a new series, and it's called Gospel 101, and you'll notice the dashes, G-O-S-P-E-L. We're going to take six weeks, and we're going to break down what each one of those letters represent in understanding the gospel. When I was a kid, I walked an aisle, I said yes to some things that the preacher asked me, and then I got wet. I got baptized. And then I went and lived my life. And it wasn't until I was in college that I realized, even though I really knew it in my heart, I have no idea what the gospel is. If I would have died, I would have split hell wide open. I was a sinner, and I was not regenerate. I had not been forgiven for my sins. I did not understand the gospel. We do not want to do that. You know, we, we won't have you come forward and pray a quick sinner's prayer that you don't really understand. I want us to take our time and unpack the mystery of the gospel in a way that you really understand it. Because it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who, who believes. So that's what we're going to be doing. So if you come in and you're like, I don't know that I understand it, or maybe I was the kid that walked an aisle when I was young, and I don't really fully comprehend what it is, um, this is a great time to learn it. So six weeks, and then on that seventh week, we're going to have a conversation about what we just experienced. It's not going to be very preachy or churchy. It's going to be more of a conversation going back and forth. So week seven, we're going to, Sam and I are going to kind of have a conversation openly with you guys and we're going to talk about it, and then we'll move into our next series. But that's where we're headed. So next week, we're going to look at the G in the gospel. It is going to be amazing. It is. I'm telling you right up front, I know I'm still speaking next week. So the amazing, and Jerry, I don't. You know, how do you reconcile those two together? I have no idea, but I promise you it's going to be amazing because the passage, it'll just flip your lid. Uh, we looked at it this past week, and I wept as we read it. Um, so that's where we're going next week. So Gospel 101. There is a book recommendation I'm giving to you, okay? If we had the money, we, we, which we do not, so please keep on giving, right? If we had the money, we would give you all one of these. There was just There's several really, really good books on what is the gospel. This one is called, got your pen and paper? Okay, this one is called, What is the Gospel? And it is by a gentleman by the name of Greg Gilbert. G-I-L-B-E-R-T, Greg Gilbert, okay? So you will not offend me if you go to Amazon, if you put it in your phone right now, and if you do what I do, which is to go swipe, and I order it immediately, right? Or do you just put it in your, um, your box or whatever it's called, your, what's it called? Your cart, your cart, you put it in your cart. Um, or if you want to get it later. But if you're not sure, if you, or if you want a resource to follow through as we go, we're not preaching out of this. I'm not using like much out of here. But it's a great, short, very, very short, 100 pages overview of what the gospel is. So this is our re resource that we're recommending uh, to you. Let me read this to you. There's going to be seven points today. I'll tell you that up front because I want you to not be wondering. We're on six. How many points are there? 
when you get to point number seven, you'll know that I'm finishing, okay? So there's gonna be seven points, and I wanna explain something to you um, before I even read anything else. I am going to um, unapologetically be reading lots of scripture today. And I'm pretty unapologetically not going to have the kind of conversation that we had, like a living room conversation that I really want to have on a regular basis. I'm not going to do that today. And the only reason I can tell you that we're not going to do that is because I don't think that the Lord wants me to. I think he wants you to hear his word today and not me. I can go tell stories just like that. I don't trust myself, so I'm going to be standing here and I'm going to be reading what I think the Lord has given me, and there's going to be a lot of passages, and I'm going to try to stick to my script today. Okay? So bear with me. There will be other times it will be more fun, but I want you to hear the Word of God today. Okay? This is what uh, C.J. Mahaney says. He puts the gospel this way. The gospel isn't one class among many that you will attend your life as a Christian. The gospel is the whole building, and all the classes take place in that building. Rightly approached, all the topics you will study and focus on as a believer will be offered to you within the walls of the glorious gospel. Okay? It's not a class, it's the whole building. So if you look on the front of your worship guide, mine's somewhere, you'll see a table. And... We're going to unpack that table for you at some point in time in a future series because each one of the legs of the table represents something about what Christianity looks like. But on top of the table is always the thing that we're giving away. And on top of that table is always nothing but the gospel. The table doesn't exist without the gospel. There, is no, there are no classes that you would take without the building of the gospel. Let's begin with the definition. Gospel comes from the word euangelion. Euangelion, the prefix means good or joyful, and the root word means message or news. So it's good or joyful message or news. Think about the angels in Luke chapter 2 when they come and proclaim to the shepherds of all people that they could have proclaimed to. They chose, this was their one mission, the time has come for the gospel to be revealed. Are you ready, angels? Go find the smelly shepherds and let them know that there is going to be good news of great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior is going to be born to you, and He is the Christ. He is the Lord. Good news, great joy. That's gospel. Okay, so that's what gospel means. Point number one. Let's start here. All of the Old Testament, if you're writing these down, I'll go slow. Slowly, slow, Sam, help. Slowly. All of the Old Testament points us to the gospel. Okay, All of the Old Testament points us to the gospel. We do a, a, a CBR, which is a community Bible reading, where we're all reading through the Old Testament and the New Testament together, some of us. If you did not understand that the Old Testament exists to point you to the gospel, 
you will get confused real quickly. There is craziness in the Old Testament. There are NC-17 stories, highly R-rated things that are happening, and you will be like, what in the world is all of this about? What's all this blood and all these sacrifices and these crazy kings and so on and so forth? You have to understand the narrative of he's trying to show sinful humanity and he's trying to show that there is a need of a Savior and he does it in different ways. But it actually begins at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, we read, I will put enmity between you, which is Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I only bring that up because it shows at the very beginning that he is um, showing that a Savior is going to come, is going to inflict Satan, and there's going to be enmity um, between the enemy, Satan, and people, which is, goes back to the Ephesians 6 passage that we looked at. There is spiritual warfare. The enemy hates you if you are going to be a Jesus follower, which is what we mean when we use the word disciple. Jesus says, go make disciples, not people that want to go to heaven. Make disciples, and the disciple is a Jesus follower. As a kid, I really wanted to go to heaven. And if all I have to do is walk an aisle and get wet, I will do that. In fact, I will do that 30 times if that's what it takes for me to go to heaven. But if you took a snapshot or watched a video of my life from that point until salvation, you would have watched that video and said, he may have his ticket to go to heaven, which I did not, but he is definitely not a Jesus follower. Okay? And there's this battle that begins to take place once you receive Christ to become a Jesus follower, and that is referenced so early, even in Genesis chapter 3. Let me read this. This is 3.21. And before I read it, the context here is Adam and Eve have sinned. They have rebelled against God. We are sons and daughters of Adam. Scripture even says that from... um, your mother's womb, you are a sinner. So it's not like you're born sinless into this world and the world corrupts you and, and helps you to be sinful or makes you sinful. It doesn't work that way. We're, we're sinful you know, from birth. And Adam and Eve have sinned. And when they sinned, they realized they were naked and they were embarrassed. And they realized that they sinned because they had this perfect union with God until after they sinned. But once they sinned, they ran and they, they hid. They hid themselves. Okay? Side trail, quickly, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We sin, and if we don't understand the glory of the gospel, which will be unpacked, we'll run and we'll hide. So in this moment, they've run and they have hid, and the Lord comes to them, and they're like, oh, sorry, Lord, we didn't know, and we're naked. He's like, how did you know you were naked? Right? And then the sin finally came out, and they confessed what they had done. Well, this is what it says. This is 3.21. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It's a small thing, and you would probably read through that and not pay much attention to it. But death and guilt came with sin. 
God covered Adam and Eve as an example of how the gospel will cover us and take away our sin and our shame and even the fear of death. In other words, something or someone must die to pay for sin. God himself killed the first animal. And he took it and he used the skin of the animal to clothe Adam and Eve in the same way that he's going to use the gospel of Jesus Christ to cover us. He's pointing us to the gospel. There's so many examples. I can't read them all. Israel is in bondage. What is that bondage? It represents the bondage of sin and only God can deliver the people of Israel from their bondage. All of these things are pointing to the gospel to be fulfilled in us. Ephesians 3, 7 through 9 puts it this way. This is Paul again. Remember Ephesians. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. There's humility here with Paul. It's like, I'm a nobody. I rebelled against the Lord. And the Lord has still saved me, and I'm the very least of the saints. He, but this grace was still given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light, that one's underlined, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Hidden for ages, bring to light. So what he's doing, Paul is stepping into these people and he's showing them all of this that happened back there that the mystery is, it was pointing to this moment that Christ was going to come. So he's revealing it. It was hidden for ages. He's bringing to light the Old Testament. So again, all of the Old Testament points us to the gospel. Point number two. Point number two, the gospel is the story of what God has done, and it sounds foolish. I don't know how else to put that in a point, so I'm just reading what y'all got down. It's the story of what God has done, and it sounds foolish. 1 Corinthians 1.21, you can look it up later. For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, or some versions have foolishness, through the folly or foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. It's the foolishness of what we preach that convicts people and that um, that saves them. So there's this perfect God and I can't unpack all of this in this moment. There's this perfect God and he can't get near sin and we've sinned and we, we've rebelled against him. So the Lord says, well, the only way that can happen is a perfect blood sacrifice. So let me begin to show you that through these you know, lambs and goats and all these other sacrifices. And then one of these days, I'm going to send my son and he's going to come and he's going to die on a cross and he's going to be killed. And then he's going to raise again from the dead three days later. And if you'll put your faith and trust in him because he's a perfect sacrifice and he never sins, then you're going to go to heaven. Wait, what? What is that? And people will hear that and it sounds completely foolish to them. And the Lord says, it is the foolishness of this story that saves people. I remember years ago, um, Cammie was with me. We, we were recently married, so we're you know, talking you know, 20-some 20, 20 years ago, 29 years ago. We went to Atlanta to, to see the Phantom of the Opera. Um, I went to see it. My wife went to the mall. And um, 
she did not want to go see the Phantom of the Opera. That was her love. And, but while we were there, Billy Graham was in town. And we went to the Georgia Dome, and we saw Billy Graham. Well, we, yeah, we all saw Billy Graham. And I remember sitting there listening, and the whole stadium was packed, and Billy Graham was, was an evangelist, and he tried really, really hard to not be creative and, and to not share too many stories, but to just give the Word of God. Because he understood if you'll just give them the gospel, the Lord will do his work. Well, I was a believer then. I mean, I'm following Jesus, and I hear him preach. It wasn't a great sermon. It just wasn't. It was fine. It was okay. I'd give it a six and a half, you know. Um, and then afterwards, he prays. Everybody bows their head. And then he says, if you have heard this, and if you're convicted of your sins, and if you want to be a Jesus follower, I encourage you to come up here because we have some counselors that are going to, to pray with you. And I've seen Billy Graham on TV, so I knew some people were going to go forward. Some of those are going to be counselors and what have you. What I didn't expect, and it threw me for a loop. And I sat there motionless forever. And I would turn around and I would look. People would be weeping, weeping. And they were just broken. And their sins were so great. And they saw that there was hope. And they began to confess their sins to one another. People would embrace one another. And someone would say, Johnny, do you want me to go up front with you? Yes, please. And they would just love on each other, and there would be this moment where there, were, there was vulnerability, and there was a rawness that was there, and they would go forth, and they would just receive the glorious gospel. And I was like, no, wait a minute. I heard the same sermon that you all heard. What in the world was that? That was the gospel. The foolishness of what was preached is all that it took to convict them and to show them their need of a Savior. Point number three, which I just gave you an introduction to, the gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. And in parentheses, that power rests on God and not on us, which is why I am doing my level-headed best to give you the word of God this morning and not Jerry Williams. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone is everyone. You just have to believe it to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And then 1 Corinthians 17, 18, and then I'll jump to 2, 4, and 5. So this is 17 and 18. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to, but to preach the gospel. Let me just stop there for a second. Okay. So I met with um, a little girl this morning, seven-year-old. We talked about the gospel. Is she a candidate for baptism? She blew my mind. This girl understands the gospel at seven years old better than I understood it at 22 years old. Um, it was so good. And she's going to be baptized soon, which is great. And she probably won't be the only one because there are people that are going to come hear this message over the next six weeks and they're going to get saved. I believe that with all my heart. And we're going to be able to baptize people. And that will continue to happen in Redstone Elizabeth. Um, but it's not the baptism. You know, Paul's even saying, God didn't send me to baptize. Yes, do I baptize? Yeah. And, and, and is there anything wrong with that? No. We should absolutely baptize. But the baptism means nothing without the gospel coming first. So just understand that. 
Um, you know, there were questions last week even about like, you know, the Lord's Supper. It's the same thing with the Lord's Supper. We actually don't do the Lord's Supper um, if you haven't received Christ yet because we think that the Lord's Supper is for people that have received Christ, which is why we don't do little children if they're too young and they haven't received Christ yet. So those are, are side notes. But let's go back to the passage itself before I digress. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Thank God for that, because that reminds me. <laughs> it's not on my shoulders, because I don't have eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, for the word of the cross is folly. There's that word again. It's foolishness. It's folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, we read, Paul says, and my speech in my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of, of men. You can't point to me, but it was the power of God. All authority rests on Him. I have no ability to save anyone, and neither do you. But we can, that's my reminder, I've got to get going, my phone or my watch is buzzing, but we can learn the message of the gospel and we can find ways to give it to people. Remember last week, um, the Acts 2, 4 um, passage, I think it's 4, 7, or 47 passage, where he says, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. The Lord was the one that was doing the work. So God saves, not morality. Being good doesn't save you. Religion, we can't unpack all that today, so stick around, keep on coming. But the Lord saves through the foolishness or the folly of the gospel. Point number four. This one's a duh point, but we'll hit it anyway because it's so important. The gospel is the only hope for unbelievers. If you've been in the church your whole life, well, of course, the gospel is the only hope for unbelievers. Here's one of the passages that I looked at with my friend this morning before the service. Acts 4.12. This is one you need to have marked in your Bible, especially in a pluralistic society where there are many gods running around and people will say, okay, I get it. I, I respect Christianity, so you've got your God and we've got ours. Okay, But there's all kinds of ways that we can go to heaven. Let me read the passage. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, chapter, John chapter 14, verse 6, says it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. He's the only hope. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word or the message of the gospel of Christ. 
So the faith comes when you hear this message and the Lord uses that faith to allow you to receive the gospel, the good, the joyous message or news that there is hope for you, just like that there is hope for me. Point number five, the gospel is the only hope for believers. Of course it's the only hope for unbelievers, but the gospel is also the only hope for believers. While writing to the church, Paul writes in Romans 1.15, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Okay, why are you preaching the gospel to people who already believe the gospel? Ephesians 1 through 3, which is written to the church, is all gospel. Romans 1 through 11, I referenced this earlier. Romans 1 through 11, it's all gospel and it's written to the church. Colossians 1 and 2, if you go back and look at those passages, it's all gospel and he's writing them to the church. Okay? Believers need the gospel daily, moment by moment. I meet with a lot of guys and we talk about sin and struggle and I've got kids and I've got my own heart, you know, and even, and I just need to be reminded that the gospel is my hope. The gospel has freed me. The gospel has saved me. I don't have to find my identity elsewhere. I don't have to receive the approval of man. I don't have to run after shiny things in this world. They're so temporary. Over and over and over, I can give you example after example after example. There is a God in heaven who created me and gave me life and who loves me and who has a future for me way beyond what anything in this world could give to me. And if I can focus on that and, 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 and keep that as my, my goal is to please Him and to follow Him, then shiny things won't affect me so much. And rejection from man won't um, affect me because I've been accepted by the only one that matters. And when I struggle and I want to go hide because of my sin and my shame, I'm a believer. I should know better. I cannot believe that I sinned that sin. Why would I do that? God, I am the scum of the earth. I can preach the gospel back to myself and say that there's forgiveness because of the gospel, not because you've got it together, because I don't and I won't and neither will you. The gospel is for believers also. Point number six, so you can see a light at the end of the tunnel and it is not a freight train. You do not have to have a seminary degree or a Bible degree in order to share the gospel. So now we're moving on to practically, well, what do I do? Well, you don't have to go to Bible college to be able to share the gospel. No way to unpack all of this in one morning, so we'll just briefly hit it. We'll hit the elements that you need to know in this gospel story, in this gospel narrative over the next six weeks. So yes, are there things that you need to be able to communicate to people? Absolutely. 
okay? But you don't have to go to Bible college for that. You really don't. We're going to help you with that. Do we know how we're going to help you? We really don't. But we're going to figure it out together, okay? I'm just being honest with you. We're going to sit down and we're going to look at the Word of God and we're going to say, okay, how can we break this down? How can we equip each other? And how can we, like, practice it? Let's go out and try it. And let's come back and talk about what worked and what didn't work. We're going to do that. And it's going to feel really uncomfortable at first. And then at some point in time, it's going to feel less uncomfortable. And you're going to watch before your eyes people like at the Billy Graham Stadium that are going to be broken when they hear the foolishness of this message of good news. And then our eyes are going to open. And we're going to be shocked and amazed at the power of God. And we're going to weep when we baptize people. And then we're going to walk with them. It's going to be glorious. You want the vision for Redstone Church. That's it. That's where we're going. And that's what we're going to do. It's the gospel. Okay, so point number six. You don't have to have a seminary degree. Let me read this to you. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Paul again says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, while others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Listen to this. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here's my paraphrase of that. Some people are actually out sharing the gospel with really bad motives. I'm in prison as I write this, and I'm in prison for sharing the gospel, and they're trying to make it worse because they're trying to stir up a crowd so that people will be even more angry with people like me that are sharing the gospel. Other people are like, you know what? I think I can make a living doing this. There's not bad money if I can be a preacher. And that's their motivation for doing so. And Paul's like, I don't care. I don't care what their motivation is. As long as they're truly sharing the gospel, God will judge them. But that gospel message that they're preaching, he can still use it anyway. And some of you heard this story. I'll be brief. My um, best friend, period, I guess, other than my wife, now that I think about it, actually that wouldn't be a period, but my best friend, uh, David, um, we were in college together and we were playing on the UTSU JV basketball team, which was only existent in existence for one year. And we got to know each other pretty well, and we were in his basement one day after practice, and we were trying to learn how to play Bon Jovi, Dead or Alive, I do remember that, and on the guitar, and I can still, dun, 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 I can still do that. And um, he looks up at me while we're doing this, and he says, man, what does it mean to be saved? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, what does it mean to be saved? Well, I had been a, a Christian for less than a year. I did not know what I was doing. I did not know the Bible, hardly at all. Um... And I wasn't living right. There was sin in my life. There was struggle. I wasn't where I was like, whoa, whoa, can you come back to me in three weeks? Let me go clean myself up first. Let me go study from scriptures. And then maybe you can ask me that question and I'll answer it. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I just, like in my church, I was taught you get to be like 12 or 13 and you, and you get baptized. And then you go to heaven. And I'm like, no, that's all right. 
He's like, well, why is that not right? What is, and then somebody told me you have to be saved. He said, I've never even heard that term in my church. I'm like, well, so we started this conversation, and I tried the best I could. It was horrible. And I tried to explain the tenets of the gospel to him about sin and Jesus being perfect, and he can't receive our sin because he is perfect, so there had to be a blood sacrifice, and he came himself. Emmanuel means God with us, so he came, and he gave himself for us so that if we would just believe in him, we would actually be saved, and then we were baptized. And he's like playing his guitar, and he's kind of listening to me. He's like, oh, okay. And then he started asking more questions, and when we went, this went on for a while, and I'm like, dude, I gotta go. My wife's gonna, I'm not my wife. Yeah, I guess it was my wife. I was married then. She's gonna kill me. So I get in my Jeep, and I, or my car, or whatever it was, and I, I go home. Well, he sits there and looks at that and kind of goes back and looks up some passages, and he just drops to his knees. He cries, and he asks Jesus to forgive him of his sins. And he's one of the strongest believers I know on planet Earth today. My point is, the gospel is what saved him. My words were terrible. The gospel will save people you do not have to have sin married to grace. Have hope. Right? I talk to people all the time and they feel so inadequate. You know, I'm not you, Jerry. I don't have that boldness or I don't have, you know, I haven't gone to Bible college. I haven't done this and I haven't done that. You don't have to. You just don't have to. All you have to do is be willing, be available, be open to being uncomfortable for the gospel's sake and then just share the message of what Jesus has done. And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. Some people that you share it with and some people that come through our doors are going to hear it and they're going to say, yeah, you're right, that's foolish, I'm out. And they're going to leave. Other people are going to be like, if what you're saying is true and if this is my only hope, I want to know more. And they're going to be drawn to come back to the table to have further conversations. And then other people are going to be broken before us. Those are the responses that you're going to receive. Not on your shoulders, but be faithful. Be willing. Get uncomfortable for the gospel's sake. And then the last point is that the gospel is not meant to be kept or hidden. It is meant to be shared, which is what we've been talking about. A few passages, Matthew 5, 14 through 15, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. We are to be gospel sharers. And Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus, the very last thing he says, he has died he has resurrected. They now see that we have a living Savior. Things that he has shared with him now start making sense. And he says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And the last thing that he says before he ascends into heaven is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, Jesus followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So our authority in sharing the gospel is that all authority has been given to him. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. He says, go. So we go, speak, 
share, make disciples, baptize them, and then he says, I'm going to be with you to the end. If you remember, as a side note, Jesus says, I'm leaving you soon, but it's better for you that I leave you because I'm coming back to you. And what he's referencing is he's sending the Holy Spirit to come back and live within us that can empower us and that can guide us, that can direct us, that can comfort us, that can encourage us as we go along our way. And that's what he does. That's what he does for me every single day. So he's with us and he'll stay with us the whole way. Psalm 107 two, let the redeemed, those that have been bought back, those that have been saved, say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let, it, let them open their mouths. And then Romans 10, 14 and 15, how will they call on him in whom they haven't believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, gospel, good news. Short trail, we'll come right back and then we're going to close. Different ways to share the gospel for those of you that are already believers. Here's an easy one, okay? Bring them here. So start there. We're going to be in a six-week series on gospel. And it may be that you've never said, hey, would you be willing to come to church with me over the next couple of weeks? Start there. Just bring them here and they'll hear the gospel. To other people, this is what Paul did. You saw it all throughout the book of Acts. If you are a believer, share your story. Share your story about what God has done in your life. God can use that because within that story, there's sin, there's brokenness, there was hope, there was healing, there was the fact that you found Christ. And um, it begins that gospel conversation. God will use that. Um, and 1 Peter 3.15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, live in a way that they'll ask. That happens. There's a gentleman that I hope to see here soon that did that with me not long ago. He's like, I've been watching you. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean, man? I don't know. There's something different about you. I've been watching you. What in the world is this Christianity thing? Because I am getting older, and I've never believed this stuff, but there's something different in you. What is it? And I'm like, oh, you're wanting to know about Jesus, aren't you? Live in such a way that people will ask you. And then for some of you, we can train you and teach you how to use the Word of God to literally just open up the Word of God and, and help people to see what the Word of God says. I told Sam, I was thinking about this just this morning as I was getting ready for, for church. I was reminded of an encounter that took place years ago with a Hindu couple. And the Hindu couple did not know Jesus. They were religious, but they did not know Jesus. And they had come to me for some answers. And I was clueless. I did not know how to help them. So I sat down with them, with the Bible, and I said, okay, I'm going to walk you through. First off, we believe that this is the Word of God, that there is one God, and He has revealed Himself in this Word. So you just need to understand that. And He gave us words that will show who He is. So I'm going to open up this Bible, and I'm going to show you some different passages from Him and let's go from there. So I opened it up, and I would read. Well, I wouldn't read it. I would say, read this. Read it out loud, and they would read it. Well, what do you think that's saying? Okay, now read this, and read this, and read this. And three-quarters of the way through the gospel presentation, he broke. 
he wept. He looked up at man. He, he said, oh, so there is one God, and he sent his son, and he is our only hope, and he died for, for me, and he was just crying. I said, yes. He said, I see it. I get it. I understand it. And he was broken. The beauty of it is he confessed Christ. His wife confessed Christ. I called the pastor where their kids were going to youth group because the parents didn't go to church and their kids didn't know Christ. He met with the mom and dad, says, yeah, you guys get it. So he walked them through, explained scriptures, and then he pivoted toward the kids and explained the gospel to them, and they got saved, and I got to go watch all four of them be baptized. The Word of God did that. I was clueless. So for some of you, we're going to train you and teach you how to use the Word of God. So that was my rabbit trail, and now I think I'm back. We want the gospel to be clear. We don't want short center prayers where people think they're going to heaven, and they aren't. The reason that we believe, that Sam and I believe, that the Lord and the, the former core team and the leadership team and everyone else who's, who's here that's a believer believes that the reason that Jesus is planting a church in Elizabethan is because we are full of religion and we are full of morality. It's one thing to say, I am a sinner, and if what you're saying is true, I'm bound for hell, okay. But you know what the worst thing is? Even worse than that, someone who goes to church on a regular basis, who said something, who got wet, and who thinks that that ticket is going to get them into heaven, and it isn't. And this community is full of those people. It's full of them. So we have to break it down. We have to make it clear. It's got to be from the Word of God. And the Lord's going to use all of that, we believe, to save people. Making sure I've got everything. Old Testament points us to the gospel. The gospel is the story of what God has done, and it sounds foolish. The gospel is powerful, and the power rests on Him. The gospel is the only hope for believers. The gospel is the only hope for um, unbelievers and for believers. You don't have the seminary degree, and we can't hide the gospel. There's a lot there. I don't have my watch on. Before we jump into communion, thoughts, questions, comments. I still want to have openness with this. I mean, we may not be able to jump into it deeply today, but if you've got anything, feel free. Very good. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Anyone else? Thoughts, questions, pushback? Okay. I said today was going to feel a little more formal, word heavy, and it has been. But this is where we're going. So if you want to know more, come back.